Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. This episode is sponsored by ScriptRunner. If you use PowerShell in your organization, you should check out their free PowerShell security ebook. It contains everything you need to know about PowerShell security. So the link to that is in the show notes. My name is Tobias. I'm back again with UC. What's up? Hey, Tobias. So after about 124 episodes, I, I think some in the audience have gotten to know me uh, through the essential things that, that sort of define me today. So work, running a few companies, stuff with the family, the hobbies, main, mainly the gym nowadays, and, and similar things. But I'm, I'm happy to sort of announce, and I think this is a revelation at the same time to myself, that I've found a new pillar to justify my existence. And if you're wondering what this is, because it's actually competing with, with everything else, it's a small gadget which is fairly cheap. And I, I got that a couple of weeks ago. It's a laser meter. So you can measure things with laser. And it has a small LCD display. And I wasn't sure if I need this, but every time I, I visit the new house that's still being built, somebody's asking me, hey, you see, how do you want this door to be done and blah, blah, blah. So I figured I, I need a, a device to measure things. And I figured, let's get a modern solution. And it's fantastic. You can measure anything and everything without worrying if you have the old school measurer that if, it, if it's long enough or not. So just the other day, somebody was delivering a package to my house and they said, hey, you see this package is fairly big. Will it fit in the elevator in your house complex? And I had my laser measurer. On my hand, I said, just give me 20 seconds. I walked to the elevator. I gave the exact dimensions and they went, yeah, it's not going to fit. So we will have to hold this box up to the seventh floor for you. And I said, thank you, laser meter measure thing. This is, this is something that sort of defines me nowadays. Yeah, so that's uh, relatable. Now we do a lot of uh, house renovations at the moment. And I recently also used one of those to get the exact measurements. Uh, on the other hand, I, I do like the analog, you know, foldable kind of measuring sticks and stuff like that as well. But yeah, you, you can't argue with the usability of one of those laser things. So now for building the new kitchen, you just go in and you tap the button. It's going to measure on the exact millimeter, you know, from wall to wall, exactly how things need to be. It's pretty good. Uh, so we can just hand it over. So very relatable. Uh, I'm glad you found this new way so you can go measure things. Now you can, I'm sure you have this now in your pocket wherever you go and you can just pull it up and say, no, no, I, let me check this for you. It's, <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's, and, and make notes. So on my end, I am today making fish tacos. So that's what's up. So in Sweden, perhaps an unceremonial type of tradition to have tacos on Fridays. So if you ask any average Swede what they're going to eat on a Friday night, the majority, I bet, will say tacos. Perhaps not a majority, but a, a big portion of Swedes will do that. It's very common. So we didn't do this 
because we used to have tapas and we used to have, you know, whatever we wanted and desired on a Friday night. But now we introduced Disco Friday in our house. And that means tacos, some disco lights, and just having a good time. This, of course, is all on, as requested by our four-year-old. So now, because all the friends, every time she goes to her friends, every time in, in kindergarten when it's a Friday, all the kids talk about their Taco Friday. So obviously, we cannot leave our kids out of that fantastic tradition. So now, on Fridays, we do Fish Taco Friday, or just Taco Friday, depending on what we want. Our kids love fish. Uh, we live close to the to the sea, so we get a lot of fresh fish. So this is uh, yeah, it's a it's a new tradition. I don't carry my laser pointer around with me when we have the the Friday disco, but uh, there's a lot of laser strobes and lights. I, I bought some disco kit, so I'm, I actually can control the disco lights in the entire house now, where we spend our time on Fridays, and the kid loves it. So the the four year old, the the one year old is more like. She doesn't understand what's going on, but she's having a good time. She can hear the music. She's trying to dance, tag along with the four-year-old. So that's a great tradition. If you haven't started a tradition what you eat on Fridays, then this might be, be something to pick up. Take it from the average Swede. This sounds interesting. So before we move, move on, I have to ask, is fish tacos, is that in Swedish, is it fisk taco or is it taco med fisk? Which one is it? Uh, fisk taco. Okay. So... Got mm. it now. I, I can openly admit I've never tried tacos with fish. We do taco with chicken and, and, and meatloaf and, and every possible combination. But fish, so, I hadn't even thought it would be an option. So there's a, a small trick to it because if you if you hear this for the first time and you're like, yeah, fish in a taco, no, thank you. You have to fry the fish. So okay. what, what you do is you, you put a pan or, or how you call it on, on the outside so it becomes crispy when you fry it. Yeah. Otherwise it doesn't work. So it becomes like a chicken nugget, but fish. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I will give this a try next. Alrighty. So today, this is episode 125 Azure updates. So roughly once per month, we, we take a look at what's been announced and released for any Azure services. What's interesting, what's out since the last time we had a look. So we both have a few items to talk about. Uh, Toby, would you, would you like to start with, with your list first? Sure. Today, I don't have that many super announcements that I found from, from Azure. There's a couple of interesting ones that, that I relate to and that I also know a lot of people in our community that I've worked with, and, and they also talk a lot about these things. So uh, the first thing on my list is something in preview right now, and that's Azure Tables extension for Azure Functions. So input and output bindings for Azure Tables in Azure Functions has been updated to include uh, some new features, and they're now available in their own extension. And that means you can connect to Cosmos DB Tables API, connect to storage tables using identity-based connections. Uh, .NET customers, if you're building uh, functions on .NET, can bind to types from the Azure.data.tables NuGet. And then you use tables alongside the kind of the V5 storage extension. So how do I enable this? How do I get it? Well, it's a NuGet. So you get Microsoft.Azure.WebJobs.Extensions.Tables. And now one thing to keep in mind, and this is really why I wanted to bring this up, because I recently had a discussion with someone who wanted to go this way because they have some binding requirements and they also want to use uh, managed identities and things like that. So keep in mind, if you do use this, you should also 
upgrade the Microsoft Azure Web Jobs extensions.storage to version five or later, because otherwise this will not work. There, there's a dependency between those. So simple updates, but if you do work with Azure Functions and you also do a lot with Azure storages like I do, and, and particularly a lot in tables, then this might be a welcome function, especially if you do a lot of bindings and you want to connect using identity and, and things like that. So it's a fairly small update, uh, but very good for the solution architects and developers to know about. So let me clarify on this, since it has input and output bindings, how I'm reading this or understanding this is that when something is happening in, in one of my Azure tables, let's say uh, something in Cosmos DB, for example, when, when a new row or, or a new, new document is added in Cosmos DB, I can then trigger Azure functions and get that as an input and then do whatever with the payload and then perhaps use the output binding to, to write stuff back to Cosmos DB or an Azure storage table. Yeah, that's a fairly common scenario. And I, I see a lot of people do this with uh, queues, specifically if you do like message-based or event-based processing uh, at scale, then, then you can do that using, using tables or storage queues, for example, very, very common. And then, then the input and, and output binding is exactly that. You can bind it to an entity. You can create that entity in the storage table and you can kind of make a structured way of the data being processed. So in, in traditional functions or in, in functions that we build, most of the time we do the data processing using our own logic. So we, we do a, a binding on a queue or a binding on a timer rather. And then based on that, we use custom logic. But for this, particularly with now the, the better support for identity-based connections to uh, tables and things like that, I see that we can start using some of these bindings to do exactly that. Uh, so you get the trigger when when whatever happens, and then you you take that and transform it into the the entity that you desire. Now, obviously, the use cases for this are are plentiful, but I think it's an interesting update if you do work with Azure Functions to to know about that. So, Azure Tables extension for Azure Functions. The NuGet is Microsoft.Azure.WebJobs extensions tables. Alrighty, this this sounds good, and I love the fact that the NuGet still has .WebJobs in it. Because I thought we left web jobs in, in 2014, but it's still here. Very confusing. <laughs> yeah. On my list, something that is in public preview, Azure AD certificate-based authentication. And on the surface, just imagining, well, yeah, certificate-based authentication, that's nice and fun, I think. But users usually authenticate with a username and a password, then usually with MFA, perhaps using Microsoft Authenticator on a mobile device. But now with the certificate authentication, you can use X509 type certificates that you manage. So you create those, you distribute them, and then you can ensure that a user accessing any of your services that are behind Azure AD based authentication, those users would then have to have a proper certificate on the device as well before they can access whatever resource you're securing. So this is in preview. And what this also allows you to do, if you're still uh, building federated identities in a hybrid setup, meaning utilizing AD federation services, that often is based on certificates to uh, add on the security. Now you can gradually start moving away from ADFS. Well, you could do that before, 
But now, since we have the certificate authentication capability in the cloud, we can finally perhaps get rid of ADFS and secure everything with Azure AD because you can combine this with MFA. And I think you can combine this with passwordless as well. So how this looks for users is when they're um, logging in, uh, they, they will have a new link underneath the password option that I'd rather sign in with a certificate instead of a password. Mm -hmm. So you can also get rid of those physical smart cards if you're still using those. But obviously, if you use Fido2 tokens, you probably prefer those because they are hardware and physical. But if you're keen on managing things over certificates that I know many companies still are or will be in the future, now this capability is in AD. It's in preview, so there's a bit of a setup for this. There's a couple of small limitations, but there's a huge promise for future updates also related to this one. So, so check the link on the show notes and try this out with a bunch of pilot users. Keep in mind, though, that when you enable this, all users will see this new capability, but only those users who have been enabled for this will be able to exercise the certificate-based authentication. Okay. Yeah, I like, I like that update. It's another step in the right direction. Um, I do have some use cases for where I would like to do that, try that out. So if it's now in public preview, then it should be easy enough to take it for a spin, I hope. And then the next one on my side is also a fairly basic one, but it's, again, with a component that a lot of people use. Alert processing rules in Azure Monitor is GA. So they're now generally available. So... I know in an earlier Azure update episode, I think I mentioned Azure Monitor action rules are now called alert processing rules, just so we keep that in mind. And these were renamed and provides post-processing capabilities for fired alerts in Azure Monitor, like scheduled suppression and you know at-scale actions management. So compare it to, and I really like this, I found this analogy from the Azure Updates website. And this is very unusual, but it kind of paints a nice picture of what this is. Usually you don't find analogies in these updates, it's just facts. But this was a nice way to angle it. So to better understand it, they, they framed it like comparing it to how Outlook as inbox rules can help you handle incoming emails. Azure Monitor has alert processing rules that help you better handle triggered alerts. So then it kind of paints the picture a bit differently and, and it's not just a bunch of words coming out and you're trying to fit the pieces together, but then, then you can compare it with you know, the, the kind of rules you have in Outlook. So that makes it a lot easier for me at least to understand. And this update was previously announced with uh, a few additional updates. You have the standard create edit portal experience using a, a wizard. You have easier navigation and visibility for alert processing rules. I think we talked about some of these in December. Uh, scheduling improvements uh, like time zone support and more flexible scheduling and some additional functional improvements uh, where you have support for multiple action groups and more flexible scope selection and things like that because this has been a bit limited. And if you use a lot of Azure Monitor, I, I use a lot of rules and, and, and try to get them triggered. And then for action groups, it's like, well, you get this action group, that's it. Now you can have the, the multiple action groups for these things. And Microsoft will now also start to enforce a per subscription quota of the rules. So this is also good to know because a lot of subscriptions can have quite a lot of generated alert rules. 
So you can now have a maximum of 1,000 rules per subscription. So it's a fairly high number, uh, depending on what you do. But I know uh, some customers, they run with uh, a lot of automation. and They automatically create new rules for a lot of things. So this number can, you need to keep this in mind in case you have this kind of automation where you set up these alert rules. And then the, the final bit of, of that is that there is an action point. If you use the current preview APIs, then you must update your environments like your ARM templates, partial scripts, CLI scripts, and so on. Uh, because Microsoft will be retiring the existing preview APIs off alert processing rules uh, and action rules. And that will happen in June 2022. So that is pretty soon. So if you do use any of those APIs, uh, and again, in your ARM templates, if you call the, the API from there, from partial scripts or the CLI or, or any other capability that, that is using the alert processing rules or action rules preview, make sure you now use the GA endpoints because this will retire in June 2022. So I think that's the main takeaway. Because again, I, I use this myself. I know people use this. Uh, I know there's a lot of talk in the community on Twitter. You see a lot of people with, you know, involved with Azure Monitor. They, they've built some pretty cool things. But if you then now rely on these APIs, just make sure you get out of the preview and you actually roll them over to the GA version. And then you should be all set for the future. I know that we've, we've talked about this before, but it's, it's great that some of the classic services in Azure, like Azure Monitor, even now we are getting monthly updates and new features. So Microsoft hasn't given up in the sense and said, well, this is ready, just use it. But they, they keep on adding new stuff in there. Not all of this is something that I, I know I will be using, but I'm still happy that we are getting new capabilities, even in the, in the classic old services like this. On my list, something that is now generally available, I can't recall if we mentioned this in a past episode in one of the updates, but deployment enhancements for SQL Server on Azure Virtual Machines. So a fairly tiny update, but if you go to Azure Marketplace and you want to provision a new VM with SQL Server, perhaps the developer edition for testing something out, now you get to define more granularly the, the different SQL Server settings, like where do you want to store the system databases? Uh, what's going to be the default collation for your SQL Server installation? And for anybody who has ever worked with SharePoint, you can configure the maximum degree of parallelism. So max DOP, which in SharePoint, I recall it always had to be one, otherwise things would fail. But these settings are now in Azure Marketplace in the ARM template. And, and previously, you could sort of tweak a bit on the data disks, but then you would have SQL Server, you would have to log into the VM and spend a couple of hours tweaking the things. So I, I think it's a nice addition. I'm not entirely sure what the use case is for a lot of customers nowadays to provision SQL Server on top of, of a VM instead of using Azure SQL or, or Synapse or Cosmos DB or something else. But obviously there are capabilities in there that are useful that you can now configure. Yeah, that's very nice. I don't use that much SQL Server, but this is, this is still good to know. Um, so I, th I think the next thing, I only have two more things really um, with it, how would you say a lack of updates and that are interesting in, 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 the, in the last few weeks. There are two things that stick out to me. One is GA now, 
which is CIS benchmarks for Kubernetes. And CIS is the Center for Internet Security. As a service, Kubernetes complies with SOC, ISO, PCI DSS, and HIPAA, and which are all like regulatory compliance standards. Now, Kubernetes measures against the SIS benchmark 2, and Microsoft did a CIS benchmark on AKS, and the results are in. So you can check the link in uh, to see the results and the scoring. I will put that in the show notes. There's a few failed controls, many past controls, and some that obviously depends on the environment it's being deployed in. So if compliance is important to you and you run Kubernetes, then this should be an interesting find. And if your customers are, if you're offering things and running things like a SaaS service or you're a vendor for customers and they say, we now need a SOC 2 report or a secure report or you know, some kind of a report saying how you deal with our data and the systems that you're operating and things like that. Microsoft now then did this Center for Internet Security or CIS Kubernetes benchmark. Uh, and they published all the results on Microsoft Docs as well. So again, the links in the show notes, you can take a look there. So if you find compliance to be an important aspect for you in your business, as I do for, for what I uh, do in my, in my business, then uh, this will be very interesting to take a look at if you use Kubernetes. Um, so I wanted to mention that because, yeah, to me, compliance is super fun, <laughs> uh, said as a joke. And there's a lot of customers requiring a lot of insights on how we operate things, how we secure data, how the data flows, what systems are we running, and those systems. Are you using a public cloud provider like Microsoft or Amazon or Google? And if so, are their systems vetted against these standards and do they comply? And it's been tricky to answer some of those questions. Microsoft is doing a very good job in publishing their reports. So they always publish a report for Azure annually, I think. We can go and see how Azure measures up against all these standards. And they, you know, they pass with flying colors, which is really nice. And now the CIS benchmark for Kubernetes is just a new measurement, another one to the list. So again, if, if this is important, you work with Kubernetes, you have things in there and you work with compliance or you need to figure compliance out, take a look at that. And you can see the results and what it, what is filing, what is passing, and so on. So I, I find that pretty insightful, especially when you're in dialogues with customers and need to figure things out. That looks interesting, but I can also say I'm never going to need this because my, my life doesn't really involve Kubernetes beyond just fiddling with the fun stuff in there. And when you said governance and compliance, I said, yeah, I'm out, <laughs> I'm out. out, out of here. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go take my laser pointer and point it at something. <laughs> exactly. On my list next, this is interesting, and this is available. There's no statement if this is in public preview or generally available, but it's available. Emissions Impact Dashboard for Azure. And something like this was released for Microsoft 365 previously, and now it's available for Azure as well. And what this allows you to do, it's a Power BI app, meaning there's a data set, there's a report, uh, and, and you can configure and, and connect to external data. When you connect the app to your Azure subscriptions, it will then pull information on what services you're utilizing, and it's going to tell you what sort of emissions you are generating through your cloud usage. And it's, it's telling that in metric tons of CO2 emissions. And I, I actually configured this because I had a customer project where we were sort of 
debating a bit on CO2, even though I'm not the expert there. But I figured if there's now an application I can use, why not try this out? So I configured this to my subscriptions. I open it initially, I refresh the data, and I'm, I'm now looking at the report, and it's saying that last year in December, my company's carbon intensity metric tons of CO2 emissions was 3.5 tons. And I was like, okay, that doesn't sound like a good idea. We have to do something. <laughs> and I, I started filtering down, oh, what services are um, causing most emissions? Then I realized, oh, it's Contoso Demo. So, so this, is the, yeah. this is the demo tenant they have in the application. Nice. And I tried connecting to my own data then, even though I did it once, but it's failing. And then I, I went back to the documentation to see, yeah, it's only available for enterprise agreement and CSP customers. So those customers who have a direct billing agreement with Microsoft. So people like us who use sponsorship subscriptions, partner subscriptions, even paid subscriptions that we have, but that are not part of the EA or CSP model, we cannot use this, even though the authentication succeeds, but there's some sort of an API check that then starts failing and it's not giving me anything. But you can still install this to see there's, there's emission details, how you can save on emissions, there's the usage report, there's legal information, it's an interesting application for sure. And I, I feel this is the first step. Perhaps in the future, when you go to Azure portal and, and you click on, on, on that SQL server on VM, I want to provision this. It's actually telling you that, yeah, this is 0.1 metric tons of CO2. Are you sure you want to deploy this? This might be years away, but perhaps we're getting there. Yeah, I, I like this. You know, anything that kind of, makes you aware of your carbon footprint in, in all aspects of life, I think is good uh, for, the, for the future generations of the planet. So I think the final thing on my side is something that I found now in the Azure blog, which is improve your security defenses for ransomware attacks with Azure Firewall. And there's a link in there called Azure Defenses for Ransomware Attack, which is an ebook. So that's a, it's a great blog post about introducing what Azure Firewall can do to help in these situations. And then the links to the ebook is a pretty good bonus for anyone who wants to uh, kind of get their mind wrapped around this. So I will put the link to that in the show notes as well. If you are working with security in Azure and your job is about securing your environment, then this might be a, a great resource to take a look at as well. The angle here is of course, defending for ransomware attacks. And I think that is very relevant given, you know, the situation in the world and how many ransomware attacks actually happen each year now to, you know, bigger corporations, but, but also smaller corporations have now been targeted by, by ransomware and it's, you know, it's hitting everyone and everywhere. So uh, I think it's a good read and it's a good resource. So if you do have some kind of security angle in your job, uh, then take a look at that. And even if you're not the one who, who does that part of the job, then go to the link and forward it to whoever does that in your organization. It's a good read and it's very valuable information and insights. So that would be my final kind of update for this show. I need to read the book though. Now that you shared the link and that's in the show notes, it's 28 pages on the actual content. And, and once you remove sort of the marketing stuff. I think it's about 25 pages. 
it, it, it looks interesting. So I will be sure to read this as well. So the final thing on my list is something that's now available. And again, it, it didn't state if this is in public preview or not. It's an interesting one. It's software workload support for accessing Azure resources. Just like with the certificate-based authentication on the surface, this looks just like a small addition to authentication. But what it actually allows you to do, and there are very specific use cases for this, if you have a workload running on an external system, as an example, uh, GitHub Actions, uh, a GitHub Actions-based workflow running outside Azure. And for some reason, the action now needs to access a resource in Azure, perhaps Microsoft Graph endpoint. What you can now do, you can configure Azure AD to trust external tokens from GitHub so that you can still manage the access. It's an interesting approach for sure. The, the only limitation that I'm finding now is that there are four very specific identity federation use cases listed that are supported as of today. So the first one is GitHub Actions workflows. The second one is services running in Kubernetes clusters. The third one is services running in Google Cloud. The fourth one is services run uh, services using Spiffe or Spire for their workflow uh, workload identities. So all of these are are something non Microsoft, obviously. And I'm sort of hoping that this would evolve so that it could be anything as long as it can produce a token that Azure AD can, can understand, extract, and, and trust. But it's it's an useful and I, I feel like a first step for these hybrid workloads where you distribute your workloads between different clouds, but you need to maintain security in terms of which tokens you actually trust or not. Alrighty, that was the last one on my list as well. The last thing we have for this show is the unexpected question. And this week, Toby, it is going to be your turn to ask me. Okay, so I, I have a question that I was thinking about. Don't ask me why I was thinking about this, but uh, the question is, what kind of secret society would you like to start? Wow, great question. I'm inclined to say, a society where everybody has a laser meter in their pocket, but that would be perhaps too easy, and and I could only be the one. Why, one why member should it in. be secret though? Yeah, true, true. Uh, but now I actually know what it, what what kind of a secret society I would like to start, and I might even start this. So a brief background on my thinking here uh, in Finland, throughout Finland, it doesn't matter which city you go to, if you live in an apartment complex. So you might have multiple floors, multiple apartments, several tenants in those apartments. When you're leaving home, perhaps you are doing a grocery store run to get some milk. When you're opening your, your front door that, that gets to the hallway, what I do, and I know a lot of Finns do, before you actually open the door, you stop or pause for five seconds to listen if anybody is in the corridor. Because if somebody's already there, you're waiting for them to leave. Otherwise, you get into this awkward discussion. You have to say hi, they have to say hi, and then nothing happens. 
So you want to avoid this sort of human contact on those random scenarios. So my secret society would be that we all agree who are part of this secret society. We all agree that when we're leaving home, we're actually waiting eight to 10 seconds to ensure nobody else is there. And if everybody follows the same approach, it guarantees that when you go outside to get milk or you go to the garage, you don't bump to, into, into anybody you barely know and, and you're, you're forced to say the awkward hi. Okay. So will, will you have a secret handshake in this uh, society? Because if you don't actually meet people, I don't know what, what's, what's the thing here. What's, will you have a black robes or will you at least have something that kind of ties everything together or is it just virtual? It's virtual, but it's so secret that you don't even know who's, who's a member of the society. That's great. Perfect. <laughs> okay. <setup>. It's <laughs> a very finished problem, I guess. And uh, it is. I, it I is. understand it. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. Uh, thank you for joining this week on Azure Updates. And we hope you join us next week as well. Bye-bye. All right. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.